everybody and welcome to another brand new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. My name is T and of course we're talking scary movies. I appreciate you tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes go up every Wednesday night at 8.30pm Mountain Standard Time. That's going to be the video version that you can find at youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. And the audio-only version goes up half an hour earlier at 8 p.m. on all your favorite podcasting platforms. You just got to search Twasm or T Watches a Scary Movie. But of course, the best way to stay up to date with any of the videos, audio recordings, TikToks, anything like that that I'm dropping, including written reviews for y'all, is going to be subscribing to the link tree, which is linktr.ee slash T scary movie if you get subscribed to the link tree that'll keep you updated with all of the accesses to youtube tiktok audio only versions whatever you need to stay up with t watches a scary movie it's the best way to stay up to date so hit that subscribe button so you can make sure you're staying updated with what i got going on for y'all and tonight we got a good show for you in movie reviews we're gonna be talking the black demon and in horror news we got some more sequel talk for you tonight as well So we're gonna jump right into things. Let's hit horror news. So our first story tonight is Hocus Pocus 3 is officially happening, folks. You know, we've talked a little bit about that and we even reviewed Hocus Pocus 2 last fall where I said that while it's a fun piece of nostalgia, it didn't really have the same stakes that the first film did. Turning the Sanderson sisters into kind of anti-heroes throughout the film the thing is is that that's not a problem if you commit fully to it but hocus pocus 2 just didn't do that so the sanderson sisters were left kind of flopping back and forth throughout the entire film now with this third movie it's just been announced that ann fletcher and jen d'angelo the director and writer of hocus pocus 2 are coming back on board to direct and write hocus pocus 3. so we're gonna get the same creative team And we have to imagine that some of this story, at least, is going to focus on the new coven of witches that was introduced in the last movie. Our new actresses, Whitney Peake, Melissa Escobedo, and Lila Buckingham. We have to assume they're going to be coming back and that their coven's going to be at the forefront of this story. But we have to also presume the Sanderson sisters are coming back. And if that's the case, I would prefer to see that either one, we're launching them like very, very, like 100% it's firm, they are heroes or they are villains at this point. And I say that because, again, Hocus Pocus 2 showed us that it just doesn't work if they're kind of riding the line on both sides. The second movie ended uh, ended with making the Sanderson sisters sympathetic to us. So if we're going to continue that, that's perfectly fine. Turn them good, introduce maybe a new witch or a new villain that the Sanderson sisters have to help this new coven defeat ultimately. It's either that or you turn them completely evil and we go back and do another rehash of the first movie, which is fine because hopefully this time around we can get Omri Katz or Thora Birch or Vanessa Shaw back to play their respective characters of Max, Danny, and Allison from the first film. So we'll get new details, I'm sure, here coming this fall. We have not heard anything about when filming begins, uh, returning cast. All we know is we have our same writer and director back, and that's a good sign for at least continuity purposes. So Hocus Pocus 3 on the way, folks. Hopefully it'll get a theatrical release. 
Next up here in horror news, I talked about in the last couple weeks about how it seemed that we are finally going to get a sequel to Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. I say finally, like that film came out more than a couple years ago. It didn't. It came out at the tail end of 2021, so it's not like it's this super, super old film. But there's been a lot of talk about it because the Resident Evil franchise hasn't exactly set the world on fire the last 20 years. You know, the, um, I think, seven films, six or seven films we got from Paul. Paul W.S. Anderson. I like a lot of those movies, but they're not really made for fans of the game. They're really there for big sci-fi and horror fans, and to that extent, they're actually pretty good. But Welcome to Raccoon City was made, and it actually kind of served for game fans, because it pretty much combined the first and the second games together, albeit in a very truncated fashion. So my hope is uh, when we heard that there's a possible sequel being developed, Resident Evil The Umbrella Chronicles, we we're hoping that maybe that was just a coincidence. Because if you've never played Resident Evil The Umbrella Chronicles, which is a Wii game that came out where you played as Stars member Rebecca Chambers and former Marine Billy Cohen, that game basically adapted the events of Resident Evil Zero. Great game both of those resident evil zero and the umbrella chronicles and it seems like that now that might be where this resident evil sequel or perhaps prequel is going because again the name that came out it was being codenamed the umbrella chronicles and now there's been a synopsis that's been put out there that's the same thing that's being listed for the umbrella chronicle games now keep in mind this film has not even been a officially announced yet. There's all these mutterings that are popping up, but they're starting to gain a little bit of traction. We had the TV show last summer on Netflix, got canceled. We lost the late, great Lance Reddick, who played Wesker in that film. And obviously this would have no connection to that at all, but there's plenty of room for this to go in the, uh, in the, uh, the story, in the entire world that was set up in Welcome to Raccoon City. Honestly, I thought they would just move forward and adapt three, just because Hannah John Kamen played Jill Valentine and Welcome to Raccoon City. Her name is definitely blowing up right now, and this could be a starring vehicle for her. But we don't know anything yet, and right now, with the synopsis popping up that seems to be an exact replica of the game Resident Evil The Umbrella Chronicles, it seems like we are going to get our first live-action adaptation of Resident Evil Zero. So that could end up being pretty cool. It stops them from having to worry about bringing back those cast members right now. And then they can work on that for a potential third movie about bringing those cast members back when they maybe decide that they're going to adapt, you know, three in Code Veronica. <sighs> Let's hope. But on the Resident Evil front, y'all, something new to be excited about. And finally, our last story tonight it goes back to the world of Friday the 13th. So we know that we have a new TV show that's going to be coming to Peacock sometime next year. Um, we know that they brought back Adrian King. We have Brian Fuller working on it. The writer's room is up and working. And the, the show is supposed to be coming to us sometime next year. And it seems that with the legal cases in Friday the 13th being worked out, that there is more movement on the franchise than there has been in quite a while, including the fact that longtime composer Harry Manfredi... Uh, Fredini, Harry Manfredini uh, actually just let it slip that he had just got done working on music for a new, as of right now, unannounced Friday the 13th game. 
Now, we hadn't heard any rumblings of a new game coming along. The last game that we got outside of like that puzzle game, Friday the 13th Killer Puzzle, was the game that was made by Gun that was the asymmetrical multiplayer game. You had all the counselors going against Jason trying to survive through the night. Great game. I still absolutely play it, but that lawsuit basically shut down development for anything else happening with that game. A lot of those developers moved over to start working on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game that's coming out this August. Got to play on that beta. That game is going to slice, y'all. But apparently there's a new Friday the 13th game that's going to get announced soon that's coming out. And we don't know anything at all about it or whether, you know, Harry's just talking out of his butt right now. But it does seem like we're going to get a new game. And a new Friday the 13th game is never a bad thing. Because you're talking to the guy that loves the Nintendo version of the game. Talking to the guy that loves the multiplayer game that people trash on. I love the killer puzzle game as well too. There has not been a Friday the 13th game yet that I have not enjoyed. So bring it on. Get us another game here. Even if it's single player, I'm about that life, y'all. That's going to do it for movie news though. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with my review of The Black Demon. Hey everybody, looking for a great way to stay up to date on horror news as well as read the best of articles on anything scary out in the world right now? Then you need to head over to the Fangoria shop and get yourself a subscription. If you go to shop.fangoria.com slash AXDW, you can use my own personalized 20% discount to save 20% off on Fangoria magazine subscriptions as well as 20% off any other items in their fantastic shop. This is a great deal. If you've ever been wanting to get yourself a subscription, now is the time to do so. Head to shop.fangoria.com slash AXDEW. All right, folks, welcome back to T Watches a Scary Movie. So we are talking The Black Demon tonight in movie reviews. You know, 2018's The Meg definitely set my appetite for giant shark movies. And no, shark movies aren't anything new to horror. Jaws, Deep Blue Sea, Open Water, 47 Meters Down, even Sharknado, we have had plenty over the decades to choose from when it comes to shark films. But when it comes to giant shark movies, uh, they've largely been left to like B-movie status. We got The Meg back in 2018. And the Meg had the look of being based off a pre-existing book and they gave them a stellar cast. There was gripping action scenes and a simple enough story that you didn't really need to get hung up on all the explicit details of it. It was also PG-13 horror, which meant that it was far more accessible to younger audiences than a lot of the movies that I listed just now. And I realized that PG-13 typically means that you don't get the level of blood and gore that we tend to associate, not just with horror, but with shark movies more specifically. But The Meg was really, really lacking a lot of blood and gore. And I don't say that as a bad thing, because I've talked about it before, about how much I really enjoyed The Meg. It's one of my favorite films of 2018. I had to buy the 4K the moment it came out on it. I was watching it endlessly for a while. I really enjoy The Meg. I actually really do enjoy it. But one of its only shortcomings is that considering what this shark has the ability to do, you would have figured we'd gotten a, we would have gotten a little bit more carnage, a little blood, a little gore than what we actually ended up getting. 
And the Black Demon, while not necessarily looking to capitalize on the success of the Meg, it could have taken a few notes from it as its attempt to imbue its basic story with supernatural elements leaves it sinking in the water. Now, Adrian Grunberg, who is the director of Rambo Last Blood, Get the Gringo, directs the script from Boise Escuera that tells the story of Paul Sturgis, played by Josh Lucas, who you might know from The Forever Purge, as well as American Psycho. Check out my review of The Forever Purge, by the way. Fantastic film. Definitely my favorite in the entire Purge series, I would say. But he plays Paul Sturgis, who is this oil company inspector who's sent to Baja to check out uh, an oil rig known as El Diamante. Now, when Paul and his family uh, arrive on that oil rig, they discover that not only is the rig dilapidated and largely abandoned, but that a 60-foot megalodon shark is prowling the waters below, having killed the majority of the crew. Now... The story seems to be at odds with itself throughout the film. Uh, we're shown the effects that this oil rig has had on this town. And whether it be the inhabitants or the economy, it's made clear that this rig has not been a positive light for Baja. And I'm sure you can understand where that's coming from. You know, there's a promise of this foreign co uh, comp corporation coming into Mexico, promising new jobs, and it's going to build up the infrastructure. All this money's going to come in. It's going to be a great spot for people to live. But we soon find out, though, that, of course, just like any corporation in any of these movies, corporation is not good. And this oil rig has done quite a lot of damage. It's caused quite a lot of problems for the local Baja community. And the issue here is that Paul is their representative. Paul works for this company. He's our POV for a large part of this film. Now, if you've seen a movie like this before, then you could probably assume that everything is good with Paul and he's going to see the shit that his company has been doing and that's going to do this complete 180 for him and everything's going to work out and be perfectly fine. But the issue here is that Paul is not a likable character at all. He's not given those traits for us to really actually want to be on board with him, even if he decides he's going to be doing the right thing. Uh, he pokes fun at local traditions. He has issues with the language barrier. Uh, he's evolved in a twist later on that you can see coming a mile away. Paul is just not set up as a likable protagonist. And because he's not a likable person, it seems very clear that his family, his wife Ines, played by uh, Fernanda Yorrojola, and his kids uh, Audrey and Tommy, um, uh, they're only there to really to endure us more to Paul. Like they're not actually there to be full-fledged characters or have really their own storylines. They're just there to pop up every like 10 minutes or so when Paul does something like an asshole and then he has to go and be a good dad or a good husband. And it's not enough because that's their only character is being there to make up for Paul's shortcomings. It's just not enough to carry that film, y'all. Um, I think it would be natural to hope, as I sure did, that his family or uh, a couple of the workers who are still on the rig, um, played by Julio Cesar uh, Cedelio and Jorge uh, uh, Jimenez, I think there's a hope that those characters could end up taking like the forefront and they would become like our, our characters that we're going to get behind 
or and this is only a minor spoiler y'all but uh that that paul would go the way of sam jackson in deep blue sea that his character would die very very early on and it would be set around his family or one of these others but it's not and that's not what happens and the problem is is that we're then not given any reason that we should actually be siding with Paul, that we should support him, that we should think that he's in the right for anything that he's doing or anything that he's saying. He's not a good person, so why on earth do we back him if he's trying to do good things? It just doesn't make that much sense. And when you combine that with the subtext of the story, because it's hard to not really make comparisons with another Josh Lucas film, The Forever Purge, which I just talked about just a few minutes ago, those films have always been tales of like class economics and how those with the means not only they can't protect themselves uh but um they also uh like they're the ones with the money who can like protect themselves but they're also with also the ones with the money to impact the most damage the most pain amongst those that are less fortunate and the stories and mean, means of it all were clear in the Purge films, that eventually all the downtrodden, the people who didn't have those means were basically going to have to help out these other people survive through the night. That was a constant theme that ran throughout this series, and the Forever Purge, it's exacerbated even more. And it's done really well in the Forever Purge, which is one of the reasons why I liked it so much. But... The problem here, and what's mind-boggling, is that the Black Demon, while it is based on Mexican folklore, like the tale of the shark, nothing else around it is based on anything that's pre-existing. So it's a question of why the story chose to go this way and not just make Paul a more likable character. Because if we're gonna get the white savior trope, which, again, some films are gonna do that, and, I, and, I, and we're gonna speak about that more, obviously, in this day and age, it wouldn't have been such an issue if Paul wasn't the way he is throughout this entire movie. There is nothing really positive about Paul, so the white savior trope just doesn't actually work out for him. And it gets even worse when we start trying to incorporate like those supernatural elements to hopefully make up for the shortcomings of the story. The idea here is that this shark is apparently making all the people it comes around, they, they'll see all these things that aren't really there. They start to hallucinate. And I guess that's supposed to be some kind of, uh, 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 what's the word you would say? Um, uh, da, 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 uh, it's just, it's something that the shark's not even aware that it's doing. And I forget the word. You're going to think of what the word is. But it's something that the shark is doing that's not aware that it's doing at all. Because it doesn't use it for any any means in the movie at all to help itself out. Like, it never uses the, these hallucinations to get itself a victim or to trick somebody to jumping in the water or anything like that at all. It doesn't cause any fights between any member, any of the humans. So it doesn't serve a purpose. Like, it's something that, like, somebody said, hey, what wouldn't it be cool if the shark made you hallucinate or somebody reminded like the writer like oh hey uh, don't forget um the shark like this shark legend always says that like it makes you see things and like somebody reminded somebody of that at the very last minute and it stands out it definitely should have been cut from the film as it doesn't add anything to the story at all and it seems like we traded out getting any more blood and gore for putting these kind of supernatural elements in and it's just not a good mix like there's not good action scenes there's not good scares we don't have good characters to actually follow behind i mean 
Chato's not bad. Julio Caesar Sedelio is actually probably the the only good part about the film here. Honestly, Chato's really good, but everything else is just it, it doesn't raise this movie up to the level that I'm sure everybody involved really wanted it to be. And the fact that we kind of treat uh, the Black Demon kind of like the Boogeyman, to where. It's like, look, like we're gonna show you some of it, but we're not gonna show you all of it right this moment. Like they, like they give us kind of glances at it throughout the film, but it's like it doesn't really show the whole thing till the end of it, and it's really glaring because it's we know what a megalodon looks like. We know what a megalodon looks like. We've seen it at this point. So unless this thing is where it like has a horn or an eye patch or a sword or something like that, what will we be getting that you think that we haven't seen before? It's just it stands out. It stands out quite a bit. It's a really big big problem i had high hopes for the black team and i really hope that this is going to be the more scary the more bloodier version of the meg because the meg's already a great film i thought this would kick it up a notch and it just couldn't do that all i'm left with here folks is some seasickness and some random visions of a movie that just never came to be so you can check The Black Demon out for yourself right now. It's available to rent on all your favorite rental and purchasing streaming platforms. Let me know in the comments section. Did you check it out? Did you like it? Do you like The Meg? Are you looking forward to The Meg to The Trench? Hit me up in those comments section and let me know your thoughts. But folks, that's going to do it for us tonight. Make sure you're back here next week. We should be getting back to the After Dark Horror Fest year two. We've taken a couple weeks off from it, but we still got four more films to discuss. But that'll do it. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared. Hey, everybody. I appreciate you tuning in for another brand new episode, movie review, game review, whatever it is now at this point. Don't forget, you want to get subscribed to my official channel so you can stay up to date for when I'm dropping new episodes, reviews, news, whatever it is. The best way to do that is get subscribed to my link tree. That's going to be link tr dot ee slash t scary movie again link tr dot ee slash t scary movie that'll keep you up to date with new videos podcast links for the audio only version as well as my letterbox where you can find written reviews get subscribed and don't forget keep watching scary movies folks stay scared